We are going to back to Mississippi in the third week of April. And anyone who's interested in that, please see Greg. And the church will be playing the, paying the plane fares. So uh, I think there's a, an additional charge in addition, in addition to the plane fare that um, people who go will be responsible for. But uh, uh, we're looking forward to our third trip down to uh, Mississippi, the Katrina relief effort. So if you're interested in that. Uh, please speak with, please speak with Greg. Any other announcements, Scott? Boston Rescue Mission is that, is that this week? The Boston Rescue Mission is this Friday night. Men and women, come and join us at the Boston Rescue Mission. Anything else? Okay, First Samuel, actually chapter fourteen. 1 Samuel chapter 14 we are in tonight. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we need, uh, we need you so much, Lord. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you will uh, open our eyes, Lord, to the wonderful works that you do, Lord God, in our life, uh, even as we follow Jesus Christ, your Son. And I pray, Lord, that I just pray, Lord God, that uh, this evening we would just find uh, more about the abundant life, Lord, that uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit would, would be alive in this place, Lord God. If we need a rebuke, rebuke us. If we need encouragement or edification, Lord God, uh, please have your way. Do that. And, Lord, I just, uh, I just thank you, Lord God just for the life of the Spirit and the way that you uh, are always so faithful to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Uh, and I, well, I'm going to begin in uh, verse 1. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, Let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father, his father being Saul. Verse 2, And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other. And the name of one was Boses, and the name of the other was Senna. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised, and maybe that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. And so I just want to stop there before we go on and I want uh, really the the subject 
of tonight's teaching is going to be a contrast between godliness and ungodliness. You know, over the years I've heard a lot of debate about how to best define godly, the word godly. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? And uh, you hear things like, well, humility, that's godliness. That's a a mark of godliness, and and that's a good one. I remember hearing a guy who insisted that uh, the right way to define godliness was uh, sort of out of Colossians chapter 2. It's the extent in which you allow God's word to dwell richly in your life. that, that's sort of the measure of godliness or dependent, dependence on the Lord. Well, I just want to have a really easy working definition tonight for you. A godly man is a man who, uh, where, who, who factors God into all his decisions. And an, a godly woman is a woman who factors God into all her decisions. So an ungodly man is, is, God is not a factor in any of his decisions. And an ungodly woman, God is not a factor in any of uh, her decisions. You know, we tend to think of ungodliness as wickedness. Uh, as, you know, people who are sort of chopping up kids somewhere or something like that, an axe murder. What actually ungodliness simply means uh, someone who just doesn't factor God into anything that they do or anything that they decide. And uh, you will see a contrast between godly and ungodly uh, men and, and women from the beginning of the Bible. It starts with Cain and Abel, right? And then it's Abraham and Lot. It's uh, Jacob and Esau. It's Moses and Pharaoh here. Today we have Saul and Jonathan and uh, this chapter that we uh, have started to read, we're going to continue, is a contrast between Jonathan and Saul. Uh, Jonathan is one of the most outstanding examples of a godly man in the Bible. Saul, on the other hand, is uh, virtually synonymous with ungodliness and and, you know, sort of as a digression, how did this happen anyway? I mean, where did Jonathan get his godliness? If not from his father, where did he uh, get it? Well, I read a, a real interesting description of, of this, a guy named Thomas Fuller, who was a clergyman in England in the 17th century, uh, he was studying the genealogy of Christ, and he noticed something that uh, there were four generations sort of right in the middle of the genealogy where uh, he, he, noticed, uh, he noticed this, and, and this is him uh, writing here. He says, I find the genealogy of my Savior strangely checkered with four remarkable changes in four immediate or four successive generations. Rehoboam begat Abiam, that is, a bad father begat a bad son. In the next generation, Abiam begat Asa, that is, a bad father begat a good son. And then the next generation, Asa begat Jehoshaphat, that is, a good father begat a good son. And then the next generation, Jehoshaphat begat Joram, that is, a good father begat 
a bad son. And then he continues. He said, I see that my father's spirituality cannot be passed down to me. That is bad news for me. But I also see that my iniquity need not be passed down to my son. That is good news for my son. And so uh, the Bible does teach that every person uh, has to make their own decision of whether to seek God. And you cannot rely on the faith of your uh, father or mother to get into heaven or become godly. Similarly, you need not be hindered by the ungodliness, the wickedness of your mother or your father. Why was there such a difference in Saul and, uh, and Jonathan? Well, it's, it's Saul, like every human throughout history, he was faced with a choice. It was either to follow the Lord or to not follow the Lord, and he chose not to follow the Lord. And, and Jonathan was faced with the same decision uh, as his father had faced, only he went the other direction. And so uh, for, for those of us uh, who have had wonderful godly parents, we can't rely on them to sort of move on in godliness, but uh, also the, the good news, particularly today where we're living in a world ravaged by sin, if we have a mother or a father who really has a long trail of wickedness, we need not use that as an excuse to stay sort of in the muck. Now, Jonathan, um, actually, so let's begin, uh, let's begin this contrast here. It says in verse 1, Now it happened one day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migran. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Then skip down to verse 6. It says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Now, here's the scene. The scene is this. On one side, you have... Actually, you, you have these two sides. You have Philistines on the one side, and you have the Israelites on the one side, and there are these two big cliffs... So I guess like sort of a, a, a almost like a gorge. Uh, and the armies are on opposite sides of, of the cliff. But we know from uh, chapter 13, verse 5, that the, Isra- the Philistines numbered 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. So that's on one side. Now, on the other side... On the other side, you have verse 15. It says, Then Samuel uh, rose and went from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people, about 600 men. And it was worse than that. Verse 22 says, So it came about on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Jonathan and Jonathan his son. So not only do you have just incredibly outnumbered uh, situation here, but the the weapons, uh, basically the Israelites had a bunch of sickles and farmer's tools, which they had sharpened, and the Philistines had uh, chariots and they had horsemen. 
And so uh, this is a, a pretty dire scene. Now, look at verse 2. And here we have the contrast between Saul and Jonathan. Verse 2 says, Saul was sitting under the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. That's what it says there. And that word sitting there, unfortunately, something is lost in the translation here. Uh, that word sitting there is sort of uh, the best way to translate it. He's just the, the, sort of the verb tense there is he's sort of stuck. In other words, th- there's actually sort of a, a word for, you know, you sit down for a second and then you move on. That's not this word. This, the, the word and the verb tense here is he's just sitting there and he ain't going anywhere. He's just stuck there. And what, why is he stuck? He, he, he's basically paralyzed. And why is he paralyzed? Because he is looking within himself for an answer. And guess what? He's not going to find it. He's not going to find it. There's 30,000 chariots on the other side of the cliff. He's got 600 men, and they have a bunch of sickles. And, and so it, it, the, the picture there, he's just, he's in a state of, of sort of mental paralysis, mental paralysis. Now, contrast this to Jonathan. Jonathan, verse 6, said to the young man who bore his honor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or few. Now, Jonathan's decision had nothing to do with circumstances. Nothing at all. He never would have decided that if he made it based on his circumstances. He made his decision really based upon what the Spirit of, of God was telling him and really also the Word of God. And, and I say that because what did he say? He said, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And, and th- th- that word uncircumcised, uh, it, it has a meaning more than just the physical meaning. It, 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 the meaning really in the Old Testament when this is used, David used the same word when he was talking about Goliath. It means enemies of God. These are uncircumcised uh, men and soldiers, and they're attacking the people of God, and, and, and therefore, we, we can't just sit here. We've got to do something, and, and God is not going to let these uncircumcised override his children. Let's get up and go. Let's arise and go. And so, he. what's our working definition for today for a godly man or an ungodly man? A godly man it's, it, it factors God into all his decisions. Jonathan was really looking to God in making this decision. Now, what is an ungodly man? What do we say that was? It's just a man who does not factor God into any of his decisions. And, and, and Saul is just sitting there, paralyzed, thinking, what are we going to do? And he's stuck. And, 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 you know, there's people, as we see, in, I think in the previous chapter, there was these, you know, people leaving them, and, and people were very scared. In verse 6, it says, when the men of Israel, uh, verse 6 of chapter 13, it says, the men of Israel saw they were in danger, uh, for the people were distressed. They hid in caves, thickets, and rocks, and holes, and pits. And so he, Saul was just looking within himself. So there's the contrast uh, between a godly man and an ungodly man. So then continuing in uh, verse 7, Jonathan, uh, it it says there in verse 7, So his, Jonathan's armor bearer, said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. It's a good armor bearer, huh? Not a bad armor armor bearer to have with you. Then verse 8 says, Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men. 
and we will show ourselves to them. Now, remember, there's cliffs. You have to go down a cliff and up a cliff, uh, according to verse 4. And then it says in verse 9, If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the, of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. We'll show you something. You know, that kind of... And you guys thought that was made up in the last 20 years. It's been around for 3,000 years. Anyway, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of, the Israel, uh, hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. Now, uh, here you have Jonathan... Uh, the Bible says, um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Well, he's not leaning on his own understanding here. He's climbing up with his hands uh, and his hands and knees up a cliff. And it's like the first rule uh, or the first commandment of warfare. Don't climb up a cliff with your enemy right on top of you. But this is what he's doing. Why? Because he is, he's heard from the Lord that they've been delivered uh, into his hand. And then it says in verse uh, 14, it says that that's, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about a half an acre of land. Verse 15, it says, and, and there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrisons and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. It's believed it's a real earthquake now happening this isn't just uh, sort of people, the earth quaking because the Philistines are getting squ- uh, scared. This is God responding to the faith, that full heart of faith of Jonathan. And there's an earthquake. Verse 16, now the watchman of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. So he's thinking, well, someone must be out fighting the Philistines. Who is it? So call the roll. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. So he basically said, you know, he, he's, he's praying in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the, the presence of the God, God was, and he's praying, but he's listening to a commotion in back of him. He says, well, I know I told you to come here, but uh, go away now. I have to leave. And, and so then it says in uh, verse 20, it says, then Paul then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the, to the battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was a very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the uh, mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Avon. 
at Avon. So, what was the cause of victory? It was the faith of Jonathan, factoring God into his decisions and God responding to that faith. It had nothing to do with the resources of Jonathan or the power of Jonathan. It was just an act of faith. So much so he's climbing up a cliff. Talk about relying on God. He's got to rely on God every every, every claw up the, the mountain. And uh, contrast this again to uh, verse 18 and 19. Ahijah is the high priest in charge of the ark of God. And again, it says, And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. And verse 19 said, Now it happened while uh, Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistine continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. In verse 20 it says, Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to battle. And so uh, here, uh, in my opinion, is one of the most pathetic scenes in all of the Bible. As, as Saul is witnessing the Philistines just basically defeating themselves. It was kind of like Gideon and the Midianites that, you know, Saul didn't have to do anything. He, they were turning against each other and, and, and uh, there was kind of, the, the Lord was defeating them. And, and so he, 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 he brings out the ark to pray, which was the right thing to do. But then he sort of pushes the ark away and says, wait a second, I have to do something here. And he goes off in the battle, but the Lord didn't need Saul. Saul didn't wait on the Lord. He didn't wait on the Lord. And and this is a theme that we will see in Saul's life, not waiting on the Lord. And so... uh, What is our working definition of an ungodly man? An ungodly man is a man who does not factor God into any of his decisions. An ungodly woman is a woman who does not factor God into any of her decisions. And if ever there was a picture of an ungodly man, someone who doesn't factor God into his own decisions, it's Saul pushing away the Ark of the Covenant and running into battle. And and God forbid that we do that, that we run into our battles without really seeking and waiting on the Lord, and waiting on the Lord. And so in verse 24, let's continue. And it says, And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So none of the people tasted food. Now all the people of the land came to a forest, and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there, there was the honey dripping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand, and he dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. But Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. 
For now, would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? Now they had driven back to the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ahilahon, and so the people were very faint. And, and so then it goes on to describe the Israelites had another uh, victory that day. And then it says there in verse 35, it says, Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. Uh, this was the first altar that he uh, built to the Lord. And now Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light, and let us not leave a man or, uh, uh, a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. Then the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, Come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. In other words, he's trying to figure out why he hasn't heard from God. And so he's figuring it, 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 it must be some sin or something like that. So he's bringing people uh, to him. And what happens is he, he casts, he has the priest cast a lot. The lot goes to uh, Jonathan. In verse 43, Saul says to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And, and Jonathan says, I, I tasted some honey uh, with the end of the rod that was in my hand, so now I must die. And so in verse 44, Saul says, you must surely die. But then in verse 45, uh, it says that the people protected uh, Jonathan from death. Now, again, what's our theme for the day? The difference between an ungodly man and a godly man. An ungodly man and a godly man. And what's an ungodly man? It's a, uh, just a, it's a person, it's a man or a woman, who doesn't factor God into their decisions. Now, Saul, what was Jonathan's method of battle? It was just to trust in the Lord and, and, and move on. But what was Saul's here? He comes up with this totally carnal oath, which was, it's the type of oath that is sort of a classic and that classic for sort of our, our fleshy pride to make. You know, I'm not going to eat anything or no one's allowed to eat anything today until we are victorious in battle. And so, uh, the, you know, talk about something where you're not really seeking the counsel of God. I mean, d- sending your troops in the battle and they have nothing to eat? And, and, and you, you, know, you, 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 you know, you expect them to, to win like that? And, and, and so, again, not factoring God into his decisions and just making his decisions just based on, you know, this false zeal kind of uh, kind of thing, and then in again uh, in verse thirty-seven, he's, he's you know granted in in th- verse thirty-five he builds an altar all to the Lord. That's a, a good thing to do. But then he sort of undoes all, all of that by seeking God, and God doesn't give him an answer in verse thirty-seven. And so uh, he he had the opportunity there to factor God into his decisions because. God hadn't spoken, and so a decision could be made at that point, you know. But, uh, but instead, in, in, instead, he goes and says, well, I haven't got a decision. Let's just, uh, let's just uh, cast a lot. Let's just cast a lot. And uh, he does that. He does that, and it comes on, on Jonathan. And uh, again, he, he decides that he wants to go through 
uh, with his oath and, and kill his uh, kill his son, uh, but the people the people protect his son. And so uh, the the one thing uh, that you see here from Jonathan is actual actual godliness. In, in verse uh, forty three, he he actually says, "Well, I tasted the honey, so I must die. I I, I tasted the honey, so." Uh, I must die, and so, uh, but f- uh, the people come in and and, and prevent that uh, from happening. So, uh, a tremendous uh, contrast here, a tremendous contrast between uh, Saul and uh, Jonathan. So, next chapter in, in chapter fifteen, you have Saul and. He's, here he's not battling the Philistines. He's battling the Amalekites. Amalekites uh, were descendants of who? Anyone know? Esau. They were the uh, descendants of Esau. And actually by this time they had no trace of godliness. Not that Esau was a very godly person, but uh, uh, he... He at least had Isaac as an influence, but the Amalekites were uh, far from any godly influence, and, and they were uh, very ungodly people. They attacked the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt, and uh, there is a battle here. And the uh, in verse one it says, uh, and two, he well actually in verse three he the Lord orders Saul to go in and kill all the Amalekites. Everything and do not spare any of them, woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. He was just supposed to uh, give over all of that uh, over to destruction. And this was an act of judgment. God was uh, demonstrating and, and teaching people about holiness and godliness uh, here. And, uh, and so he just ordered the complete destruction and so Saul and the Israelites, they go into battle, and uh, they, they, there is victory there. But it says that uh, in verse 8, it says that he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites. In other words, he was supposed to, uh, to, to have killed him, but he took him alive. And then in verse 9, ominously, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. It sort of reminds me of the, the guy, I, I once knew a guy who, and he, he, he said that when he gave to the Lord, he would just reach down into his pocket and take whatever change was there and flip it in the offering plate. In other words, whatever was, he, he wasn't giving God his first fruits, he was giving got his last fruits, what he had got after spending everything. And so that, you know, it says whatever thing was despised and worthless. In other words, if it didn't, if they couldn't, it wasn't of value to them, uh, they went ahead and did what God had told them to do. They destroyed it. Uh, But if it was valuable, they kept it for themselves. It says, Now when the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned uh, back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So this is actually, by the way, a, a really profound thing about 
really what the, the heart that we're supposed to have towards people who are rejecting God and living a life opposed to God. You know, so oftentimes, I was just studying with the kids yesterday in Matthew, I think it's chapter 6, where it says, judge not, lest you be judged. And what does that mean to judge? And it's not that we can't recognize that someone in sin, but it's that attitude where we're looking at someone with contempt. And, and even though Saul's in this great sin, Samuel, he's crying out to, to God day and night. He, he grieves. And, 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 you know, a lot of times I, I, I hear Christians and, and they're clearly recognizing someone else in the body of Christ or someone else and they're doing some kind of thing that's wrong, rejecting God, but there's contempt there. There's mockery there. And, and, and our attitude should be, sure, we can recognize that they're doing wrong, but are we weeping for them? Are we grieving for them? So real powerful, uh, this, uh, this picture of Samuel's heart there. It says he cried out to the Lord all night because of what Saul was, was doing. He was just, Saul was just making a mess out of his life. And verse 12, it says, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. So I, I, that pretty much doesn't need explanation there. Uh, Saul is setting up a monument uh, for himself. Is he factoring God into his decisions? I think not. And he has gone off around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I, I just like see a TV preacher when I read that, you know, <laughs> with his big old smile. Blessed are the Lord, I have, command the, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And, and verse 14 says, But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Malachites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly des- destroyed. There's always, a, we always have, we can always rationalize disobedience to God, always. And, and this sounds like such a spiritual thing. We just wanted to keep the best so we can give it to, to God. The problem is that's not what God told them to do. And then in verse 16, the, the, then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, shut up, would be a better uh, translation. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a, on a mission and said, Go. And utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder and sheep and oxen, the best of the things which... Uh, should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice 
and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. It's a very powerful, oft-quoted verse there. There's a famous book by J. Oswald Sanders on leadership. And Sanders lists five tests of spiritual leadership. And the first one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, list them off. One of the challenges of having a church right next to a hospital. The five tests of spiritual leadership. The first is the test of compromise. And, and what that is, it's lowering the standards, God's standards, in order to resolve a conflict. And you see this happening in churches all the time. Lowering the standard, uh, God's standards, in order to resolve a conflict. There's a conflict, uh, you know, in, in this particular case, there was a conflict the people really wanted the people really wanted to have the best of, of, these, of these animals. Saul really wanted to win the battle. So the compromise is go with me to battle and, and you can have your animals. And, and it's, it's just lowering the standards because of conflict. Rather, a real leader says, no, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. doesn't matter how many people are with me at the end of the road. I'll never forget um, a real powerful thing the the uh, pastor who uh, of the church that Stephanie was raised in, Southern Baptist pastor, Tommy Watson. He married us. He's a great guy. I love him, and I owe a lot to him. And um, he was a church of a, a large a large church in rural South Miami, and. Uh, he was uh, one of the first church to have blacks and whites in the same service. And this new black couple was with him in the early 70s or something. And, and uh, they came to him and said, you know, we're thinking about uh, leaving this church because, uh, you know, the, the people don't want us here. And, and, and we think they, you know, we, we think they're going to make us leave. You're, you're, you're deacons. And he says, you know, well, it, if you leave, they're going to have to push me out with you. That's leadership. That's leadership. And, and in the South, I'm sure that he lost people. There's no doubt in my mind. The South in the early 70s and churches are beginning to integrate. I'm sure he lost people. But that's real leadership right there. It's, it's the test of compromise. So many churches today, they don't want pre- people to preach on hell. They don't want to, the pastor to mention what the Bible says about hard issues like abortion and, and homosexuality. Uh, they want more worship and less Bible teaching. They want more singles outings and less missions trips. And, and what happens? Compromise. What's the compromise? Well, I have more people here to listen to God's word, you know. But the compromise is that the real word of truth is not going out. And here you see, here you see Saul, yes, in a sense, that he, he's doing what God wants him to do. He's going out in the Bible. I mean, he's going out in, into battle, but he's, but he's lowering his standard, and as a result, 
he's bringing reproach on the witness uh, of his people. And then the test of, uh, the next test, so the first test is the test of compromise. A classic book, by the way, Spiritual Leadership. Uh, it's, uh, it, if, if uh, you want to add a stack, uh, a book to your huge stack of books that you have that you go, you're supposed to read, add that one, uh, Spiritual Leadership. Really, we should be reading the Bible. But um, <laughs> the second test is the test of selfish ambition, campaigning for promotion. Even when Saul is, uh, he had already been told he was done, that he was not the king of Israel. He, he had already been told that in the previous chapters, that he was done. But what does he do? He continues to sort of just push on and, and promote himself. And, you know, so often there is a tremendous challenge of, uh, you know, in, in the church when, when a God starts blessing a when God starts um, blessing a church and, and you know, it's, it's so tempting for sort of the pastor to identify himself with the success. And, you know, as people will come to him and say, you know, we need to, we need to name our evangelism ministry off, after you or something. And it's like Bill Smith Ministries or whatever. And it's like, no, no, I really can't do that. And they'll say something like, well, just think of how many more people will be attracted to the ministry because it's your name they, they identify with. Well, okay. And, 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 and so and, and this is the type of, of thing that happens. It gets to be uh, the, the selfish ambition uh, gets in the way. And, and they think that sort of they have, um, they deserve to have sort of special treatment. I just love that example. I know you, many of you already heard this, but the example of, of Jesus, uh, when he's coming into Jerusalem, he's leaving Jericho, and the blind man, Bartimaeus, is screaming out to him, and all the people are saying, uh, be quiet, be quiet. I mean, here's Jesus. He's just about to go to the cross and lay the entire sin of the world on him and, and you know, leave him alone. And, 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 and they're trying to protect Jesus. And it's so easy once you, the spotlight's on you. You know, I do deserve this. I do deserve a little rest. I do deserve a little special treatment here. What did Jesus do? It says he stood still. He stood still. And, and he reached out and he touched that uh, blind man. And so uh, the, the, the first test, the test of compromise, the test of selfish ambition. The third, I really like this one, the test of failure in your life. You know, we're all going to fail. And that, by that I mean sin <laughs> regularly. Uh, if, we're, if we were on a, a, a sin meter, we'd all get a failing grade. And, and, and it's really interesting when you contrast David, who was really a very godly man. He factored God into all his decisions. And you contrast David and Saul, who did not factor uh, God into his decisions. When you, if to an outside observer who knew nothing else, I mean, you can imagine Saul making a very compelling argument that he was the godly man. He said, well, at least I didn't murder my general so that I could steal his wife. I mean, he would have won the godliness context if, if, you know, if his audience was a people who didn't know any better. They both failed. What was the difference? One of them repented. The test of failure. What is it? Are, do you repent? Are you going to repent? 
Or is your pride going to get in the way? I really can't repent because if I, if I repent and admit I was wrong, all these people are not going to accept my leadership. You know, and, 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 and so uh, what did Paul, you know, what did Saul say? Uh, you know, he started uh, making up excuses here. He started making up excuses. Well, you know, we're going to, we're going to uh, sacrifice all the best animals instead of just saying, you know, I was wrong. And, and, and then the, uh, you know, and, and, and we have the, the other example in, in the previous chapter where uh, he, he doesn't wait the full, uh, the, the, the full time period in, in chapter 13, he doesn't wait the full time period to, to wait and for, for Samuel, who was coming to make a sacrifice before they battled the, the Philistines. What does he do? He doesn't repent. He says, well, uh, you know, the, the people were getting really antsy. And, and, and I did wait anyway. It was seven days. And, and so, but he, he, he didn't repent. And so, I don't know about you, but that was just very powerful to me, that insight. That if you just look at the instance, in, incidents in their life, if it was judged off of failure, Saul would have beat David. It's a really odd thought. The, and the only thing that makes him different is one decides to repent and the other uh, doesn't, doesn't. So the test of failure in your life, the test of failure in your life, and there will be failure. The, the, another one is the test of jealousy. Um, it, it's you know whenever you're in leadership, there are people who are jealous uh, of you, and, and but then there's another issue of, of you being jealous of of other leaders or or, or whatever, and you know we see this in, in Saul's life just a, a, a terrible uh, a, a terrible problem in David's life and we'll get more when we get to David's life when people were jealous uh, of him he was very gracious to them he was very gracious to them and and but yet if you look at the you know you look at at, at Saul and just how jealous he was of David uh, David and and so there's the test of, of of jealousy as well and finally and we dealt with this a lot in chapter 14 uh, the test of how a man or woman deals with impossible situations. Uh, this is the fifth test of, of leadership. And by the way, everyone who is walking with the Lord is a leader. They're a leader uh, in their home, in their job, uh, wherever they are, because they're, they're leading with what God has given them. The fifth test, the test of how uh, a man or woman deals with impossible situations. You know... So many times you're going to reach the point in your life, in your Christian life, where you're like, you know, I thought I was doing God's will for my life, and here I am, there's a hundred foot wall in front of me with no way to get over it. What are you going to do at that point? The amazing thing is this can be either the high point or a high point in your Christian walk, or it can just be a, a, a low, low point. You know, when Israel found themselves overwhelmed by, uh, by the Philistines, it was just such a low point in, in Saul's life. He's there sort of just stuck in the mud 
and mental paralysis. Oh, what am I going to do? Whereas Jonathan, uh, he, he, he moved on. And, you know, it's just so often, not to pick on Saul. And just a couple weeks ago, uh, I was in this, uh, you know, I have a part-time job. I'm in this tremendous uh, storm. Uh, it, it kicks up. And, and I don't know how much sl- uh, sleep I lost one night trying to figure out how to resolve the situation. And within a couple days, I, I, I thank God I, I, I prayed about it, prayed about it with a couple brothers here. And within a day, it was the thing was totally resolved in a way that I never would have dreamed of, never, never ever would have dreamed of, and and that is so much how the Lord works. Is that uh, how do we deal with impossible situations? Do we factor God <laughs> into it and how we're going to deal with it, or do we just think of Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, and then you go all the way to Z and you start with A, A, B, B, C, C, you know? Go on, on and on. And, 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 and so uh, the test of how a man or woman deals with impossible situations. And so you, 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 the fifth test of, of leadership, I really like that. Let's uh, finish off verse fifth, um, chapter 15. Verse 24 says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people, before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back from Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Malachites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously and said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Again, it ends with this great picture of, of, of Samuel and his heart towards uh, this perpetually backsliding uh, disciple of his. Uh, and, but again, the, what is a godly man? He's the man that factors God into all his decisions. What is an well, ungodly man? It's a man who does not factor God into all his decisions. You know, if Saul was a godly man, he would have gotten up in front of all the people and repented and confessed publicly. Instead, all he cared about was that Samuel sort of restore him before the people so his reputation was 
uh, restored. He was not factoring God at all into his decisions. He was like, you know, I, I, I can't go and confess to them because if I do, I'll, I'll lose my authority, which is nothing but fear. It's not even true. But I, he says, I'll lose my authority. I, I need to defend myself. And so uh, here you see this uh, very uh, troubling, troubling uh, season in in Saul's life, and actually the next time we meet in in First Samuel, it'll be uh, when David is anointed uh, king, and so uh, Saul's time uh, definitely coming uh, to an end here. Okay. Well, we are going to be. Uh, dismissing right now. If you would like, what we do on Sunday nights is we pray with each other about 10 minutes after the service for those who are not going home to uh, and going to, to bed. If you are going home to bed, God bless you. We'll see you next week. If you'd like to stay and pray with us, uh, a couple things to pray about. One is Rodney's sister. She just found out she has cancer. So Rodney just left. But um, his sister, she's 31, and she just found out she has uterine cancer. Let's, uh, let's pray for her and Rodney uh, as well. And then also, uh, Mandy, your friend Dante, uh, what kind of – that's cancer as well, right? A 16-year-old boy, I guess, over in children, Dante, uh, has uh, brain cancer. Let's uh, uh, lift those up. Let's also lift up the service this next Sunday – and uh, with uh, John Ensor and a woman's concern. I know we just recently lifted up that ministry, but let's lift them uh, up again. So uh, if you're going to be joining us, please do in 10 minutes. If not, uh, God bless you.